Welcome to Dropping the Ball, a sports podcast by sports fans for sports fans. I'm your host today, Luke. Just me, Noah Andrew. Uh, if you want more information about some of that, go check out Andrew's most recent podcast that he did as a sports short. This is going to be our new series called Sports Shorts, where he and I do individual episodes. Every once in a while, we'll come back together when our schedules can fit up and do a, an episode together. But hopefully, this will just be the case from now through to uh, about the middle of the fall or so, sometime around in September, where we'll come back together and we'll keep doing our old formats together. But... I think it's going to be interesting and exciting. It's going to allow us to really focus on our our own personal biggest interests in sports. For me, things like soccer, and uh, and for Andrew, things like baseball. We both love basketball, so we'll both get to cover that a little bit. But it'll definitely give us an opportunity to keep giving you guys interesting content on a regular basis. This is also the way that we're going to be doing things at Ludoro Media for the entire fall and summer. Uh, you can see the same kind of things going on with us over at IPOC, the In Pursuit of Knowledge podcast that I co-host with Dorian. Dorian's got an interesting one coming up. I believe he's going to do 1493, the book about the, the year after the New World was, was discovered, uh, if you want to call it that, by the Europeans. It's a book by Charles Mann. So if you guys are interested in that kind of thing, you should definitely check that out. And also keep supporting Andrew's short uh, sport episodes as well as mine, if you don't mind. <laughs> but uh, like I said, also, we are going to be focusing on our, our ultimate interests. So you could imagine what I might possibly be talking about today if you've been following us for a while and kind of know what I like to harp on pretty hard. That's going to be soccer. We've had a really big recent week here in terms of the different things that have been happening in European soccer specifically. That's what we'll be talking about today. And we'll be digging into that in kind of a summary fashion. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the different leagues that are kind of the, the biggest ones on focus in the in European in that setting. And I'm going to go through them and tell you how they finished, why some of that's significant, and potentially give you guys an idea of what's going to happen going forward as we see them transitioning to the next season with coaching changes and player changes changes and the transfer window about to start up in full force this upcoming week. And also what we can look forward to from international soccer in the upcoming weeks as well as we approach the, uh, the international continental competition that were supposed to take place last year didn't because of the delayed schedule of the club season and they got boosted back to the to this summer so they're going to be like the 2020 uh, euros or the 2020 CONCACAF gold cup which are actually being played in 2021 but they've spent so much money on their marketing campaigns they can't really call it anything else so that'll that'll be what we'll be talking about throughout this episode so we're gonna get to the premier league and obviously to my Chelsea, but don't worry, it's not going to be a Chelsea episode. We're going to cover everybody. Uh, but let's start out with a couple of the other leagues that were a bit more unfamiliar, let's say, to the European uh, in the European setting, but to the American audience because maybe it's a uh, it's not one that you see on TV a whole lot. So the first one that we can start with will be Italy, and Italy was an interesting one this year. Juventus is a team based in Turin. That was where uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is playing now. Everybody knows Cristiano Ronaldo. He moved from Real Madrid a couple years ago to Juventus, and his goal was to win leagues and, and win a Champions League with them as well. Hasn't quite worked out in terms of all of the objectives. They did win the league the previous year, but this year they tried out something new. They had a, they had a manager named uh, Maurizio Sarri last year. 
He's not the most charismatic guy in the world. He's a good he's a good coach, but with a big club like this with a lot of history, Juventus having won like the last 10 Italian league titles in a in a row. They they're called the Scudetto. So they'd won the last 10 Scudetto and in in a way that's kind of gotten a little bit boring, right? We want to see we want to see things getting changed up. I'll tell you, this year was a big change. They uh, they hired a new coach in place of uh, Maurizio Sarri, and this guy's name was Andrea Pirlo. Now, Andrea Pirlo is one of the, he's going to be an example of a lot of what we've been taught, what we're going to talk about throughout this entire episode in terms of, at least from the coaching perspective. If you've been following soccer for a long time, back to the early 2000s or something like that, now, in these last couple years, we've really seen a lot of those legends the, the, at the peak of the game in the, the early 2000s through to the early 2010s. The players that were out there, they're transitioning to managing. So one of these guys that transitioned to, to management was Andrea Pirlo. He was, he was initially in their youth setup, and they thought, okay, well, you know, we've got Steven Gerrard being hired at uh, Rangers, which is a Scottish team. And we've got Frank Lampard at Chelsea. We've got uh, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal and, and, and many other examples of this. Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid. So let's try out our own legend in place of, uh, in place of, uh, of a, an established older coach in his 60s. And they gave it a shot. And unfortunately for them, Pirlo might not have been ready quite yet. This will be a trend that we're going to see in the future for many of the other teams that we'll be talking about. So the result was Juventus barely scraped into the top four. So what does that mean? As we've talked about in our Champions League conversations, the top four in Italy get into the Champions League. The fifth and sixth place teams get into the Europa League. And now there's this new league that's starting up that's kind of like the the NIT's NIT if you're into basketball, college basketball, called the Europa Conference League. So now some of these this is now the third tier, the lowest tier now in the international club competition stuff is this Europa Conference League. And then seventh place in Italy gets into that. So the seventh place team was Roma. Roma is, of course, the, the big team in, in Rome. They've got pretty good history, a lot of tradition, but they weren't able to really get it together. They were a pretty distant seventh. And in fact, they just squeaked into that Europa Conference League uh, qualification position on the last day of the season. The fifth and sixth place teams were Napoli and Lazio. Uh, Napoli is is the former club of, of a lot of legendary legendary players, particularly uh, Maradona was a Napoli guy. So Napoli is a really big one if you're into you, you want to try and follow a club in Italy or something. I I'm a big fan of Napoli. I'm also a big fan of Inter Milan. So if you, those are great clubs to to check out, Napoli got bumped by Juventus on the last day. And they fell out of the Champions League positions, and they and Juventus moved into the Champions League positions. As a result, Napoli, who also had a, a, a former legend player in Gennaro Gattuso, they fired him and have replaced him with a guy named Spalletti, who used to coach at Inter Milan. So coaching change is happening. Of course, Gattuso, being a, a charismatic guy, already has a job in Italy, so don't feel too bad for him. He's coaching at Fiorentina now. Two hours after he was fired by Napoli, he was picked up by another club. So... The rest of the top four in Italy are the surprise team Atalanta, 
who are in third position, they finished level on points with Juventus, so they were also right there in that race for the Europa versus Champions League positions. They made it into the Champions League, and they've continued to be a surprising club that a lot of people didn't really anticipate staying around this long at the top end of the table. They're a smaller club, don't have a ton of history, don't have a ton of money, don't have a particularly rich owner, unlike a lot of these other clubs. What they've been able to do is just kind of luster it. If you if you're a if you're a Premier League fan, they they they're in there somehow, hanging around in that in those top positions every year, playing in the Champions League, selling players, buying new players. Because of course, if you if you're a smaller club and you don't have all that kind of money to pay players, your way to generate cash is to sell players to buy their replacements, basically. And that's what they've been doing. So they've they've been able to stay here in, in third. And for those of you that liked soccer back in the early 2000s, uh, the, the way that it finished one and two is definitely a throwback and makes you feel good. Because I remember when I was really just getting into club football in Europe, I was really interested in the Milan clubs. I think it's a really cool situation. They play in this, this stadium called the San Siro. And it's actually both of their stadiums in Milan. There's not a there's not one Milan stadium over there and then another Milan stadium over there. It's it's one stadium they both play in and they share the ground. So in terms of of home and away for them, it's an interesting dynamic for sure and something that really plays out uh, in a very intense way where uh, Inter Milan was formerly the the international club so they had when they were founded they were founded for more of like the immigrants that were in the area of Milan and AC Milan were more of the the Italians the, the Italians Italian club you know so uh, in terms of the two AC Milan wears black and red and Inter Milan wears blue and red and Finally this year, Inter for the first time since I think it was 2009-2010, they won the the league again. And in 2009-2010, they were coached by Jose Mourinho, and Jose Mourinho won the treble, meaning he won the, the cup competition in Italy, he won the league competition, and he won the Champions League. And that was kind of the last success that they've really had. Because unfortunately for them, uh, as soon as they have something great, they sort of start to blow it up. And that's what we're going to see in this conversation. So... Inter Milan, they have they hire this guy named uh, Antonio Conte. Conte is a bit of a hothead. He was actually the one who started all of this massive success that Juventus has had. He won a bunch of the, the earliest league competitions for them. He left Juventus and came to Chelsea, instituted the three four three system, which is kind of like a a really stable very wide system. The, the Italian coaches are, are always valued very highly because in Italy they basically end up doing like a, a dissertation on soccer where they have to write this this uh, thesis about their, their program in terms of their coaching badges, the way that they that they come up through their, their training. And at the end of their coaches training seminar stuff, they have to write their their concept of of soccer down as a thesis and it's stored at the coaching academy basically where you could go and you could read Antonio Conte's uh, and Spalletti who we mentioned right and sorry these different Italian men uh, Carlo Ancelotti has one in there and all of their predecessors and their predecessors predecessors they're all in this one location so it's like a it's like a soccer uh, theory mecca of of information, and it's an incredible place that you that you could actually go. I mean, if if you don't know Italian, you're gonna have a hard time reading anything. But it's still uh, it's still a really cool way, and that's why the Italian managers are so highly sought after because they are so academic about that. So anyway, uh, Conte then comes to Chelsea, institutes this new system. A lot of people pick it up. It kind of 
rejuvenated football tactics in the Premier League a bit. And the thing about Conte is every time he's got a job, he expects that the that the owners are going going to give him what he wants in terms of positions and players. If the, if he wants these players, uh, they're going to go out and they should get them for him because he's trying to institute his program. He doesn't want them to sell important players of his, uh, and he wants them to continue to invest in the in the team if he if they want him to stay around. Juventus wasn't doing it the way that he wanted to, so he had a clash with the owners. He left. He came to Chelsea. He had some ideas. He won a he won a league. He wanted them to to come back stronger, uh, reinvest in the squad, get some players that he really wanted, guys like uh, Romelu Lukaku, and, and, and you know, which is uh, he he was actually managing here at Inter Milan in, in an interesting turn of events. Didn't get the players that he wanted, so he got fed up and he quit. He took a year off, came back to, to Italy, and got a job at Inter, which was kind of a big deal because, whoa, you know, he's, he's coaching at, at Inter Milan. He's a, he's a Juventus legend. He played at Juventus. So once again, we're talking about these legend players that are stepping into coaching. He's still pretty young. He was given a whole bunch of stuff that he wanted and, and needed. Guys like Romelu Lukaku, who was, who was, at, uh, who, who was a Chelsea player, but he, Chelsea, didn't, Chelsea sold him and he wanted to buy him back at Chelsea. They didn't. So now he's at Inter. He got everything that he wanted, but they've won the league. Uh, and that's a huge thing. But they're going to blow it up again. They're going to start selling players. They're going to try and buy younger, uh, less proven players. He doesn't want to be involved in that. So the day that the league was won by Inter Milan, he walked. So he, he's he's uh, looking at potential other other jobs. He could maybe go back to Juventus. He, or actually, no, he can't go back to Juventus now because uh, the the coach that followed him at Juventus is the one who has now coming back to replace Andre Pirlo. His name is Massimiliano Allegri. So Allegri is back there. So now Conte might take a break, or he might go to places like uh, Tottenham. Needs a coach. He's been in. He's he's lived in London and coached in London. So maybe he can do that. Or Real Madrid needs a coach, and we're getting there soon. So that's the the Serie A Italian league breakdown. That's where they are, and uh, that's that's how things stood at the end of the season. So let's move on to La Liga now. So in La Liga, that is the the Spanish league. There's been a it's been a really wild year because both the big traditional clubs in in Spain, Real Madrid and Barcelona, had a bad year. And they've kind of been on this trajectory for a while. If you're looking at Real Madrid financially, their problem was they invested a ton of money in players that didn't really come good. Guys like Eden Hazard, uh, Luka Jokic, uh, the, these different players were, uh, I think it's Jovic actually, uh, Luka Jovic, and these players just didn't come good. They spent a lot of money on them. They expected them to be world-class. Uh, Eden Hazard's played like 20 matches in three years or something. It's, it's, not, it's not good. So their problem wasn't so much that they were under economic uh, duress and that resulted in them having a bad season. It was more just bad investment, and that's their own fault in a way, right? When you're buying a, uh, the, the most fouled player in the Premier League over his career and he's turning 30 and you're expecting him to come to Real Madrid and be the same thing he was in England, that's a little risky, especially for the kind of money they paid for him. Barcelona, by comparison, is in billions of dollars of debt right now. So their problem is they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. 
and they don't have any money to spend on players right now. And they've got Messi, who is really upset. If you guys remember early in the season, Messi's talking about he's leaving. It looks like he's not going to. Uh, they're going to bring in some some more support for him, some more Argentinian uh, friends of his, like, say, Sergio Aguero, who has uh, ended his contract at Manchester City uh, in a respectful way. He didn't. Uh, he, they ran the contract down, let him go wherever he wanted. Seems like he's going to Barcelona to be with his country mate, Messi. That'll that'll be a, a good thing for Messi because he lost some friends of his, like Luis Suarez, who who was uh, very very close to him. Luis Suarez is famous for biting basically everyone. I don't know why he chose to do that, but he, he whenever he gets frustrated on the pitch, he gets those chompers going and gives somebody a little bite. So he but he'd never bit Messi, which is why they had such a great relationship. So. Messi and and he uh, had a, had their separation because Barcelona is trying to to rejuvenate their squad uh, and they sold or at least let Luis Suarez walk and he went to Atletico Madrid and Atletico Madrid didn't have a great season but they had a, they had a good enough season and we'll tell you why here in just a second so uh, there there was a lot of chaos at Barcelona total disharmony they had to do a an, an emergency vote for a new president because Barcelona is, is kind of a, it's a publicly owned club. All the, the fans, it's sort of like a Green Bay Packers situation where the fans are actually invested in owning the club and they select a chairman. So they had to select a new chairman who was a, an older chairman that was there during the, the peak of Barcelona back in the early 2000s through the early 2010s. And uh, so I, it looks like that's enough to maybe make make Messi calm down and, and stay around, which, I mean, I'm totally on Messi's side here. If you're not helping me win right now, I'm the best player in the world, uh, only, you know, barring maybe an argument for Cristiano Ronaldo or some of these young guys coming along like Mbappe and Erling Holland, and, and the, but that's still years off. Messi's still the greatest player in the world. So if you're not helping me win, then I'm going to go somewhere where I can. So... It looks like Barcelona might be able to bounce back, but this year they were not looking good, and uh, it, it was just another year like the year before that where they, they also, the cracks were appearing at that point. But for this season, the same kind of situation is happening in La Liga in terms of the breakdown as we just talked about in Italy. Top four make Champions League, five and six go to the Europa League, sp- position seven goes into the Europa Conference League qualification position. This is where it's going to get a little weird because I don't know exactly how this is going to play out because the the seventh place team Villarreal, who is uh, who is a, an interesting team, they're managed by a guy named Unai Emery, and Unai Emery is a former Arsenal manager. Arsenal didn't do great with Unai Emery there, but they hired Unai Emery because Unai Emery was a specialist at winning cup competitions, specifically the Europa League. He won multiple of them with Sevilla where he was before he went to Arsenal. After he got fired from Arsenal, he bounced around, ended up at Villarreal. Villarreal finished in seventh place, but this year, I don't want to spoil it yet, they ended up in a cup competition. They did really well, and the results of that means that they won't be in the Europa Conference League. They'll actually end up in the Champions League next year. We'll get to to how all that worked out here in a little bit. Five and six were uh, Real Sociedad and Real Betis. If you're looking for a team to follow in Italy, Real Betis is a super fun team to follow. Uh, you should check them out. They're, they they uh, they scored 50 goals this year and they let in 50. So that's either way, you're going to be watching something that's pretty fun to see, right? There, there's going to be action on both ends. Villarreal actually had a much better goal to, to uh, goal differential. They were 60 to 44. So maybe follow Villarreal. Who knows? They're going to be in the Champions League next year, so you'll be able to watch them there. 
The top four are Sevilla, who pushed them, pushed Barcelona pretty far, but really the top four in La Liga this year broke away a while ago, and it was going to always be down to Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Sevilla. Sevilla and Barcelona began to fall behind the Madrid clubs, so it was kind of a race for them for three and four. Sevilla ended up in fourth, Barcelona in third. Not great news for you Barcelona fans out there for sure, uh, but don't worry. I think it's gonna next year. We'll see what happens, and I, I doubt that Barcelona will stay around this level for too awfully long. Second place ended up going to Real Madrid. Real Madrid had a pretty long Europa uh, Champions League run, which we'll talk about in a little bit too, uh, and that might have bogged them down a little bit in the league. They ended up losing the title to Atletico Madrid on the last day of the season by two points. And Atletico Madrid's goal-scoring leader was Luis Suarez. So maybe Barcelona should have kept him around a little while longer, huh? But you know, you got to make a decision. You you got to pull the trigger. He wasn't uh, he wasn't looking great. Luis Suarez looked like he was losing speed. He wasn't he was going through massive goal droughts. So it's probably one of those situations where he felt slighted. He went he, like he and he even said it that he felt slighted. He felt like he wasn't loved or, or appreciated at Barcelona. So he went to Atletico Madrid. And he had a, a renaissance year. Now we'll see what his season looks like next year. Most likely it's probably going to be back towards what he was looking like at the end of his Barcelona career. And I think that just the, the disrespect that he felt he was, he was given by Barcelona is what's been fueling him in these past couple months at Atletico Madrid. But either way, love seeing the dichotomy of La Liga broken up by somebody. It's usually, unfortunately, only Atletico Madrid who does break up that dichotomy. But Atletico Madrid have one of the sweetest kits out there. So if you're if you're looking to pull for a team purely based on their their physical appearance, go for Atletico Madrid. Those red and white striped kits with the blue shorts, absolute magic. So Next up is the German League. So we've already discussed Italy and Spain, and now we're on Germany, which is the the other big club that's big big league really that's that's in there in, in terms of conversations that are worth having at, in summarized situations. So unfortunately, though, you pretty much can always guarantee what happens in Germany. It's always it's Bayern Munich's. Everything, everything that happens in Germany is dictated by Bayern Munich, and it usually results in them winning the entire the entire thing. It's similar to the way that Juventus was over the past ten years in Italy, but here in Germany, it's been going on for just much, 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 much longer. So this year, we'll go from the top down. Also, just to to keep you updated, the situation in Germany is also the same as in Spain as in Italy and as in England with the way that the positions break down. Top four to Champions League, five and six to Europa League, seven to the Europa Conference League. So seventh position was was Union Berlin. Five and six were Frankfurt and Bayern Leverkusen. And in the top four, of course, it was, it was Bayern Munich who finished the season on 78 points. They were 13 points clear of second place, RB Leipzig, who is actually owned by Red Bull, they've got a lot of American contingencies involved there. I believe that their their new manager at, at Leipzig is going to actually be an American guy. So that could definitely be a, a German club that you could pull for. 
They uh, they oftentimes have good uh, American talent around. Uh, Adams plays there right now for Leipzig. Uh, third place was Borussia Dortmund, who were a point behind Leipzig. Another great American there, Gio Reyna, the son of the former captain of the U.S. national team, uh, is playing there and getting good minutes there for sure. It was where Pulisic was as well. If you're a Pittsburgh fan, they got the black and yellow. So uh, I, I like Dortmund a lot over there. And then fourth place was Wolfsburg. So really, it's it's a situation where what we're seeing is 100% Bayern domination. They've got an incredible situation going on there where they spend so little money on players because I think a lot of players want to play there, but they also cherry-pick the league, and they kind of ruin their own league in a way because they just... As soon as they have a challenger inside of their own league, they just buy that best the best player on their team, and it, it kind of creates a, a bit of a problem. But, I mean... I guess the clubs don't have to sell to Bayern Munich, but it's hard to turn down that kind of money when you need it. So, though it was a quick conversation, Germany was a little bit boring this year because, once again, Bayern Munich scored 99 goals, only let in 44, and won the league by 13 points. And none of the other teams really looked all of that dynamic or interesting. So, now we're going to go ahead and jump into England. And after we do England, we'll do the European competitions. But before we get into the men's side of England, I do want to give you guys a little bit of a plug for the Women's Super League, which is the, 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 the women's equivalent of the Premier League in England. This year, it was won by Chelsea. Chelsea's won it two years in a row now. And uh, it, it's a really it's really good soccer, actually. If you're, if you're trying to get your daughters into the sport, or your sons into it for that matter, they should be watching something like this because the, the, the soccer is very detailed and, and good. Now, the problem is the lower parts of the league don't really have the same level of talent. So oftentimes, the top clubs in the Women's Super League end up just beating the dog out of the bottom teams, you know, 7-1 kind of games. But there's fun teams in there, and there's traditional clubs. And There's only 12 teams in the league, so it's a pretty quick league. They play 22 matches. But it's uh, it's nice to, to see for sure. And more and more of the American women are going over there to play in the Women's Super League because there's, more, there's a little bit more stable money and better competition, and you get to play in the Champions League. So... Chelsea actually, the, the women uh, for the Chelsea team, made it into the final this year against Barca and Barcelona, and they got spanked pretty bad. But it, it's the same clubs that you're seeing in the, in the men's game. Uh, teams like Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid and Barcelona and Chelsea and uh, Manchester United and, and Manchester City especially are all in there and, and competing pretty, pretty well. So if you're interested in getting into the women's game, it's hosted on the same platform, NBC and Peacock. Uh, so check it out as it comes back around next season. I think that you guys will enjoy it. And teams, the, the way that it's stacked up in the top uh, top four, uh, they have a little bit of a different structure on how you get into the, the, the Champions League. I think only the top two make it. But it was Chelsea women won it all by two points. Manchester City women after that. Arsenal, Manchester United. So they actually have a traditional big four. And then there was a little bit of a gap to the Everton women and there's you new know, Tottenham's in the league and, and other other leagues like that West Ham if you're into into those clubs. So I highly highly suggest you guys checking out the uh, the Women's Super League. Specifically, those top two clubs have been buying a ton of players that are, are fantastic talents from all over the world. So most likely, what you're going to have to see is an influx of other great players to these other clubs to to keep up with them. And it could make the Women's Super League a very fun thing to watch. So so please check it out. Uh, I think that it's it's worth Worth your time and energy for sure to watch the, the Women's Super League. So, now 
we're here at the Champions League. So we're going to start from the bottom up. Uh, in terms of the, the teams that came in this season, it was pretty dicey in terms of how, how the, the new clubs coming into the league were going to do. I think that everybody felt that some of the newly promoted teams like Leeds, for example, had something interesting about them, but we weren't exactly sure what they were going to end up doing. The other two teams coming up were Fulham and West Brom. Unfortunately, Fulham and West Brom, I think from the, the immediate outset, it was very clear that they weren't prepared to be in the in the Premier League yet, and they were going to be an up-and-down season where they were going to come up, they're going to not do great, they're going to go back down to the championship through promotion and, and demotion relegation systems. And that, that turned out true. The Fulham and West Brom were relegated, and so was, unfortunately, Sheffield, who finished ninth in the season before this and had some really cool tactics. They, they played in that same kind of five-man defense that we were talking about that Antonio Conte brought to, to Chelsea. A couple years back, they they had a, one of their center backs overlap up the middle of the pitch, which is a kind of a wild tactic uh, that Chris Wilder, their manager at that point, was employing. But this year, they completely fell apart. They finished bottom of the the league and were out pretty early, one of the earliest relegations in league history. And also, Fulham and West Brom finished a good 11 points off the 17th position. So none of those teams really deserve to be around, unfortunately. Hopefully they'll be able to get back down into the championship, benefit from the parachute payments, which is a system that they have in place that uh, keeps clubs that have a really high wage bill a bit more secure. They give them a, a bit more of, 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 a, of a financial package for th- two or three years in there to, to ease their their slide back into it so they just don't fall like a rock through the through the leagues all the way down to the league even below the championship. I mean, it's happened before, but that's why they're trying to avoid that, to help protect these clubs. Because remember, these aren't franchises. These are community-based institutions. So we definitely don't want to see a great club that is that is a part of a community that the, and this community supports them go falling off like that because that really does hurt the community that they belong to so Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield relegated. Number 17 was Burnley. A bit of a bad year. They, they've, with Sean Dyche as their manager, they've been doing pretty well in the past in terms of staying around in, in that top half. But this just seemed like a bit of a, an off year for them. Don't really know why, but uh, I mean, it could be the, the lack of fans, which is a huge thing for these smaller clubs where they need that atmosphere. They need that drive from their fans. And if you don't have it for uh, 37 out of 38 games of the season, that can be kind of difficult. So I think that that definitely impacted them in a negative way. But, I mean, they still finished 11 points clear of relegation. In a normal season, that probably would be, if you were finishing 11 points clear of, of relegation, you'd probably be edging up close to mid-table. This season, there was just such a discrepancy between the relegated teams and the rest of the field that that was a, it doesn't look quite as good as it maybe would in previous seasons. Brighton was next in 16th place. They're playing pretty ball. They're a South Coast team just outside of London. They've got this this guy named Graham Potter, who's this young manager, very intelligent, wants to be adventurous. He doesn't want to just be a defensive team and sit behind the ball and let these big clubs come at him. They want to go out and, and play their game too. But the problem is, since he came in, because before that they weren't like that, before he came in, when they got promoted, they were pretty defensive and, and structured. In, in more of that defensive way, that negative, quote-unquote, football. But when he came in, he's, he had them playing better, but the results haven't really improved. So it wouldn't be a surprise if Brighton at some point 
ends up getting relegated despite the fact that they're playing pretty good looking attractive soccer but your results have to actually reflect that improvement it can't just be a, an eye an eye test alone because this is a points race next was southampton who wow southampton was a roller coaster of a, of an experience in november they were top of the league and then they didn't win any of their last like 23 matches or something crazy and end up down here in 15th place just above them crystal palace they were managed by a legend of of the premier league roy hodgson roy hodgson retired this year they've got a bunch of their of their playing staff that are coming up on the end of their contracts in july so the new manager is gonna have to come in pretty quick figure out who he wants to keep who he wants to get rid of uh who he can renew who he can't and uh, turn it around and, and try and keep it in. This is this could be dangerous for Crystal Palace, where it, it could refresh them, it could drive them up further towards the middle of the table and, and, and possibly towards European positions, or the loss of a guy like that could send them plummeting back down the opposite direction. So hopefully that won't be the case. We definitely don't want that to happen to a, to a, a good South London club with a, a pretty good amount of history that usually does play some pretty pretty good uh, pretty good soccer. Number thirteen is the disappointment of Wolverhampton. Uh, Wolverhampton Wolves were a team that came up a couple years back and have been challenging for the top six every single season and just been right there at it. They have a ton of international players. They also play that same kind of 3-4-3 thing that uh, Antonio Conte originally brought in. Their manager's name uh, is uh, Espirito Santo. Um, and he's done really well for him, but he's leaving. So who knows if that means he's going to Tottenham and he's going to manage at Tottenham. I think that would be good. I don't think that they were really looking to get rid of him. So I think this is more of his choice to leave to go try something new, play a, manage a bigger a bigger club. And if that's the case, then I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up landing somewhere like Tottenham if they don't bring back uh, Pochettino or something like that. Oh, and we also need to talk about France briefly, but we'll get there after this one. So in terms of the, in terms of the, the other top bit of the table, uh, in, in 11th position, we had Aston Villa. And Aston Villa was definitely a, a success story. They came up recently, previous season. They hung on, stayed in the league, and their defense massively improved. John Terry's their defensive coach, and they he's not their full-on manager. But it looks like that definitely buoyed them and kept them around. They've got some young talent, guys like Jack Grealish, who are uh, uh, definitely a, a player that you might see at the Euros this summer. But at the same time, we'll see if he can if they can keep him around. He's probably going to end up going somewhere like Man City or, or somewhere larger uh, because he definitely deserves that opportunity if, if he wants to take it. Uh, then in tenth is Everton. Everton's another disappointing season. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be clicking for them. Hopefully, they'll keep on their hold of Carlo Ancelotti, who's one of the greatest coaches in, in club history. But uh, it's it's uh, it's a real shame that they're unable to really get it together because they spend a lot of money on players. And they've got a great, a great staff in terms of coaching and playing. They've just got a guy like James Rodriguez to have... Yeah, sure, he was a bit of a disappointment at places like Bayern Munich or uh, Real Madrid, but at the same time, he is a a top-level player, and it has a huge impact for a place like Everton, and I think he had a good season. But what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to be a bit more defensively sound because they actually had a negative goal differential this season. They scored 47 goals, and they let in 48, and that's not a way to be in the top 
positions and finish in Europe. So I think that's the big thing that they'll have to figure out. The pleasant surprise that everybody expected to happen is actually Leeds United. Leeds has this incredible history in the Premier League. They were kind of the bad boys. They wear these these uh, solid white kits, but yet they were like the most aggressive, mean team in the 90s. Uh, vicious tackles and played kind of dirty. But they've got this guy named uh, Bielsa, who's their manager. Doesn't speak a lick of English. His his press conferences are fantastic, though, despite the fact that you that uh, that you you can't understand him because he does speak with a translator. But he's got this really interesting charisma, and he's actually somebody that heavily influenced Pep Guardiola's style of coaching. So he's he's of an older generation, but uh, he he's brought that style to Leeds. And so Leeds now, instead of being the the bad boys, rough and, and gruff, now they actually play some pretty attractive football. And they were pushing pretty hard for a European position, and they just missed out to, uh, to Tottenham there. So in eighth place, another massive disappointment, Arsenal. What are they going to do? They've got a, a former player, a young guy, Mikel Arteta. I, he doesn't seem to have really figured it out. If Frank Lampard got fired from Chelsea, then Arteta should be fired already from Arsenal, unfortunately. Uh, I hate that for Arteta, but it doesn't seem that he's able to figure this out. And there haven't really been any improvements at this point. This is the first time since 1993 that Arsenal will not be playing in any kind of a European club competition, and that is not good. So it doesn't seem like they're improving after because of course the guy who who made sure that that run was established was Arsene Wenger the the French manager of theirs who was there from the beginning of the Premier League up until just a few years ago he was then replaced by a guy we were talking about from Villarreal Unai Emery he didn't do great Unai Emery didn't do great and, and was and was chastised for it and was demanded to be fired Emery out was you know a very common thing on social media, but Mikel Arteta hasn't been any better than Emery was. So I'm unfor- and yet I think just because he's been around the league and people like him liked him as a player, he's been a little bit protected from a lot of the stress of potentially getting that kind of same Emery out feeling. So then after that, the first position in the European Conference League this year will be going to Tottenham. Tottenham is currently managerless. Well, technically, Ryan Mason is their manager. Ryan Mason is very young. He is uh, the youngest Premier League manager ever, I believe, at 29. And he had some results, but he definitely had some bad results too. So I don't really know. I don't think he's going to be given the full position for sure. He was on on an interim contract. Somebody should be coming in. I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody like Nuno Espirito Santo from who just left the Wolves who could slip into that position. There's also been talk that Mauricio Pochettino is going to leave uh, PSG and come back to Tottenham. I don't really believe that happening. He would be uh, Pochettino would much more likely be a kind of guy who would stay at Paris Saint Germain or go to Real Madrid than come back to Tottenham after he just left a year ago. They did fire him, but so if they had him back. It would be him being justified that he should have been there. He should have been kept on in the first place. But I still don't see it. I think it's going to be a a different manager coming in, and we'll see what they can do with that. Uh, It'll be fun to watch them in this Europa Conference League because I don't really know how that league's going to play out. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting and very diverse group. Tottenham's going to be traveling all over the globe next year, at least in terms of the European landscape. So, uh peek in on that Europa Conference League thing because it's going to be pretty wild. Five and six went to Leicester and West Ham, and these are a tale of two opposite clubs. West Ham was in a bad situation in the previous years. 
they have a, a, a legendary coach there, uh, a, a Scottish man, David Moyes. And uh, David Moyes was a the manager of Everton before before that. He was he was there for a while. He he went international for a bit, but he was like a legend at at Everton. And they fired him, and it was really sad. He went to he he ended up. I know. I think actually he left Everton for Manchester United was how that worked. And then he had a real bad time trying to follow Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. Got fired. Ended up in Spain. I think didn't work out well. Jobless for a little bit, and then landed the job at West Ham. Everybody gave him a really hard time. He had all these great players, and he was playing this super defensive style. What are you doing? You know, if you what do you have these players if you're going to play like that? And it looked like there was a chance that he was going to get fired at the end of last season. But they kept him on. He worked really hard. He got the team where it needed to be. They brought in some interesting talent like Jesse Lingard from from uh, Manchester United, who was not playing well at Manchester United, and it's revitalized Jesse Lingard to the point that he's made the European uh, the, the the European competitions for for the international stuff for the the England squad for this upcoming summer, which is he hasn't been even remotely in the running for that for quite a couple years. So it's really nice to see that uh, they definitely overachieved, and West Ham is a club with a lot of tradition and history, so it's good to see them there. On the opposite end, Leicester was the club this season that was in the top four for the most days out of the season. I think they were 240-some days in the top four. Yet, they fell out of the top four on the last day of the season, despite the fact that the team that moved into the top four to replace them, Chelsea, lost the match that they were that they were playing. So, it's uh, really also, really the team that moved into the top four that shouldn't have been there was Liverpool. But, we'll get there in a second. Chelsea had a really tough season, uh, definitely a tale of two seasons. Uh, the first half of the season, Frank Lampard was in charge. We'd spent all this money on players from Germany and from uh, the Netherlands and all over the place. It got a new goalkeeper in, all this stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I think it was just a, a task too hard for Frank to take it to the next stage at this point in his career. What I imagine Frank Lampard's going to do now, he'd spent one year at, at uh, Derby County the year before, uh, he, he took the Chelsea job, which would have been two years ago, and uh, definitely improved Darby. Darby just missed out on being relegated out of the Champions League, the championship this past year. So, I mean, when you're comparing and contrasting that, he, he maybe should have, I mean, not that he should have stayed there. If you get the position to, to coach your former club and you're a club legend, you're going to take it no matter what. But he definitely would have helped Darby and learned a whole lot if he would have stayed there. And uh, it's a similar thing that we see happening with Steven Gerrard, the former Liverpool legend who's up in Scotland who just took the Scottish title back from Celtic. He's managing at Rangers. They were like undefeated through the whole season. And that's the kind of experience that Frank Lampard's going to need before he comes back to the top division of, uh, of English football or uh, of other leagues in other countries. He could he could manage in other, other countries. He's a very smart man. Uh, so I think that, that he can handle it. But he just needs some time. They fired him in November and or December and they brought in Thomas Tuchel. Now, Thomas Tuchel was also fired in the winter of this last year from PSG. He was the man who got PSG to the Champions League final last year, and I think PSG is a very difficult place to manage. We'll get to that in a second when we're talking about the the European club competitions. It's a very difficult place to, to manage. He had a hard time with the locker room. He had the opportunity to move to Chelsea, and he said it was it's the right place at the right time, and it's clear that it was because the second half of Chelsea season was spectacular in comparison to the first half. I don't know if they would have had enough 
if they had Tuchel for the entire season to really challenge Manchester City fully, but they would have been a, a better team and probably would have been closer to at least Manchester United and Manchester City than they ended up at the end of the season with Frank. So, uh, you know, good luck to Frank in his next endeavors as a manager. He definitely wants to continue managing, but I think that Chelsea did end up making the right decision, and it seems that it's been justified when you look at the, the track record of them making the top four. They just missed out on winning an FA Cup uh, and it got to the final, lost 2-1 to Arsenal, and they also did pretty well in Europe this season. So Liverpool had a terrible season, lost more times at home than they've ever lost in the history of Liverpool, yet Liverpool being Liverpool still finished top three, go figure. So there, that's just the way that things are with Liverpool when you've got a manager like, like uh, Jurgen Klopp and you've got a goal scorer like Mohamed Salah. So uh, another player that should still be at Chelsea, but Chelsea sold him to Fiorentina, I believe, and to Roma afterwards. So, uh, and, and then Liverpool brought him back by, um, by, way, of, by way of Italy. So uh, Mo, Mo Salah is fantastic and, and definitely did great things for, for Liverpool. And I think that there's, though people can be frustrated with him, and he does, he's a little greedy and shot heavy, it's still pretty impressive what he's been able to do there. Second place was Manchester United. They've spent a ton of money over the years. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looks like he's going to, be around, but they've just they've just disappointed in a lot of ways that I think that Manchester United fans are just getting tired of. So we'll see if if that's if that disappointment is enough. They're going to change Ed Woodward, their sporting director, this upcoming at the end of this year, not the end of this season, but the end of this calendar year. Uh, so that might lighten the pressure from the fans a bit. Uh, Soldier also benefits from the fact that there weren't a whole lot of fans in the stadiums this year. So that that definitely lightens the pressure for sure. But in the end, I mean, it is Manchester United. They are a great club. They, they should be in these positions. They should be challenging for titles. Uh, unfortunately, they just haven't been able to get it across the line. They've come really close in semis and reaching the finals of competitions and losing, which is uh, <laughs> uh, definitely a, friend, a couple friends of ours are, are surely upset about that kind of result as lifelong Manchester United fans. And then Manchester City won the league uh, by 12 points. So, though it was kind of Germany-like this year, it was really no question that Man City was going to win the league title, I would say. They were prepared. They've been prepared for a couple years. This is now, I think, their their second or third now in a couple of seasons. Uh, three, I think they've won three and four in the past couple of years. And the big thing this year was a question of, are they going to be able to complete the quadruple? So the quadruple would be, there are two cup competitions in England, the Premier League itself, the points race, and the, and the, the Champions League. So they were on track because they won the cup competition called the Carabao Cup, which is the first to finish. They won that. They were clearly going to win the, the league because of the crisis going on at Liverpool and the crisis going on at Chelsea and Manchester United not being able to finish anything. So it was pretty clear that they were going to win the league. And they got to the semifinals of the FA Cup, lost to Chelsea there, and they got to the finals of the Champions League. They ended up with one trophy, and that was the league. So... Kind of a kind of a well, they ended up with two trophies, the league and the Carabao Cup. So they were unable to do a treble or a quadruple. So if we were going to try and place them in the all-time great teams, like we did in an earlier season with the Liverpool against the World conversation, I don't think they're going to make it into that top ten just because 
I think there was so much pressure on them to be great when they were not as great as they were expected to be. They don't end up in that list. But still, definitely a great team uh, with great players, guys like Kevin De Bruyne, another former Chelsea player who is playing in England on a rival of Chelsea somehow, despite the fact that Chelsea had him at one point. Uh, So... We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with, with them next year. Uh, Sergio Aguero uh, on the last day of the season, just like he always does, making history on the last day of the season, he ended up breaking the all-time goal-scoring record for the most goals scored for a single club in the Premier League. Uh, he's walking and going to Barcelona, to Barcelona, and unfortunately, he didn't. He was unable to get a Champions League. <laughs> wink, wink, unfortunately, with Manchester City. In that time, though he did finally make the final. So uh, let's now talk a little bit about the international game, right? Because that's a big part of it. We've got the Europa League and we've also got the Champions League that just finished the most recently. Uh, the Europa League finished on May 6th. And it turned, well, on, uh, I'm sorry, it was on May 6th. It was on May 26th. But on May 6th, they had their the final of their second leg. And or, now remember the important thing about the Europa League is if you win the Europa League, you get into the Champions League in the following year. They don't keep the champion of the Europa League in the Europa League. You get to you get to have a free pass into the Champions League group stages the following year. So the semifinals were between Roma. Remember we said Roma finished in seventh in Italy. Villarreal, who also finished in seventh in Italy, and Arsenal, who finished outside in eighth, I believe, in the in the Premier League outside of a European position. Altogether, and then Manchester United was also in that semifinal. Arsenal played Villarreal, and Roma played Manchester United. Unfortunately for Arsenal, they couldn't get past Villarreal. So a big moment for Unai Emery, former coach of Arsenal, to beat his former club in the the semifinals of the Europa League, the competition that he was famous for being able to win, and. In the second leg, Manchester United lost to Roma, but went through because of the goal differential that they had from the first the first semifinal against Roma. And the final was between Manchester United and Villarreal. And it was a pretty good match. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise that Villarreal came out and was playing quite so well. They went to extra time, 1-1, and uh, then went to penalties after that. And if you have the time, because it's a bit of a lengthy watch, actually, go watch the penalty shootout between Villarreal and Manchester United from this this year's Europa League final. Because all 11 outfield players, all, all 11 field fielded players that were that were in the game at the end of of regulation and extra time took a penalty kick, and everyone made it except for the very last kick taken by David de Gea. He missed it. And Villarreal won the Europa League and will be in the Champions League next year. So super cool and, and fun for them, absolutely. The Champions League was a bit of a crazy situation with all the Super League stuff. Uh, were they even going to be able to... Were they just going to... At that point when the Super League stuff started happening, we were at the semifinal stage, and that was Real Madrid versus Chelsea, and it was Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City. And three of those four clubs, Manchester City, Real Madrid, and, and Chelsea, were all three in the, 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 the naughty 12, the dirty dozen, that were trying to break away and form the Super League. So there were talks at, at one point that Paris Saint-Germain were just going to be declared the, uh, the, the champion of the Champions League, which would have been good for them because at this point in the season and at the end of the season, they actually 
didn't win the French League for the first time in very many years, Lille actually beat them. They've, they shouldn't have fired Thomas Tuchel, I don't think. But I think the real problem with, with Paris Saint-Germain is they have all of these prima donnas, guys like Neymar. I don't think Mbappe is very dramatic, but they do have other very dramatic players in their locker room. And I think that that resulted in them being unable to come together as a team and get anything done this season. So what happened to them was they lost to Manchester City in the Paris Saint-Germain, lost to Manchester City in the semifinals. Poor Pochettino can't uh, escape Manchester City no matter what he does, even if he goes to France to try and manage a little bit. There's Manchester City still giving it to him because uh, he, he definitely caught some beatings at Tottenham from Manchester City. So Manchester City makes the final. Looks like it's going to be their year. Chelsea, who had had a pretty rough run in terms of the teams they had to play to get to the final, in the first round of the knockout, they had Atletico Madrid, who ended up winning Spain, uh, the, the Spanish League. The second round, they went up against Porto, who knocked out Juventus, a, a kind of a dirty, pretty rough team to play. They were able to get past them. And then in the semifinals, they drew the first match against Real Madrid, and then they beat Real Madrid 2-0 in the second leg. And there was all this drama about Eden Hazard laughing and, and catching up with his friends that were on Chelsea. But come on, give the guy a break. He, he did play there for nearly 10 years. So he should, he should have some friends and he should want to catch up with them after the game. But then we had a Chelsea-Manchester City All-English final. Chelsea has played in Champions League finals that are All-English. The first one in 2008, I believe... They lost to uh, they lost to Manchester United in penalties. Uh, Manchester United uh, had Cristiano Ronaldo and Wayne Rooney at that point. Cristiano Ronaldo missed a penalty, and unfortunately, John Terry skied it, slipped, fell down, missed the goal. We lost. Manchester United won. Heartbreak, disappointment. Then in 2012, we played uh, we played uh, Bayern Munich in Munich. Again, in 2012, because the host stadium was Munich that year, and Bayern Munich made it, and it was not a pretty game. Uh, Chelsea was very poor the whole time, playing a lot of defense, tied it up with a Didier Drogba header, sent it to penalties, and won the penalty shootout somehow in miraculous fashion because Peter Cech is, was the greatest goalkeeper in the world and an excellent uh, penalty keeper. So, then here we are. Chelsea's had this bad, weird season, at least the first half of it, they ended up making a, a final for the FA Cup, lost it, see if we can make the top four, barely made the top four, almost had to win the Champions League to make the top four, and then we're here in the final. Past couple games of Chelsea didn't look great. Manchester City wasn't having great games either, either to close out the season, to be honest, but you pretty much figured that Manchester City was going to just give it to Chelsea, and, and it was going to be pretty ugly. I was not emotionally prepared to watch that game as a Chelsea fan. But from the very outset, the teams were very matched. They looked, uh, they looked brave. Both teams looked brave. Chelsea probably looked more confident uh, as the underdog, whereas Manchester City looked a little bit more nervy at the beginning. At the end of the game, Chelsea had two shots on target. Manchester City only had one, and Chelsea won the game 1-0. And now Chelsea is a two-time, uh, a two-time Champions League winner. The only club in England to have, in, in London to have won the Champions League, and they are behind Liverpool's total of I think of uh, of I think three or four, and Manchester United's four or five that they've won. 
I think maybe it's the opposite. But either way, the, the, the teams that have won the Champions League that are still relevant in England right now because there was that whole Nottingham Forest thing that happened uh, where Nottingham Forest won it twice in a row back in, like the I think it was the late 70s. But uh, it's still, Chelsea's continuing to produce like that. And, and unfortunately for Man City fans, has denied them yet again. And unfortunately for Pep Guardiola, who hasn't won a Champions League since 2011 with Barcelona. So... That's our wrap up for the for the league for this season. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing us, uh, hearing me. It's so weird to say just me and not have my buddy Andrew out here with me. But uh, I hope you, you enjoyed us going through that, and uh, look forward to to getting back to, with you guys and giving you some more content in the future. I think the next one, uh, my Greek friend Yorgos and I are going to sit down and give you guys a little bit of a conversation about the one and only Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, one of the, the the future of the NBA and possibly the best player in the NBA right now after they have swept the the heat to make it through to the next round of the playoffs. Also, keep your eyes out for Andrew's next sports shorts, which will be a preview of the second round of the NBA playoffs, and for Dorian's 1493 uh, In Pursuit of Knowledge podcast. And I'll be on In Pursuit of Knowledge giving you guys some knowledge here in the next coming weeks. Maybe I'll do something about archaeology since I'm out here in Greece on a dig right now. Okay, have a good one. Talk to you guys soon. Peace. Peace.